The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. I was couldn't help but think this morning as we were watching those who followed in believers' baptism that it really is a picture of what our mission is here at First Conyers. And in my opinion, not only our mission here at First Conyers, but I believe it's a mission that Christ has given the church, that we are to be displaying God's grace to all people in the same way that He has displayed His grace in our lives. How many of you would say that God has definitely and is continuing to display His grace in your life every single day? And it's our desire that that. God use us as ambassadors of Christ that everywhere we go that we display His grace, being conscious that God wants to use us to bring others to faith in Christ, that God wants to use us not to just bring them to faith in Christ, but they would be engaged in a relational discipling process so that as we follow Christ, we share with them those things that we have learned as we're continuing to follow Christ and that we would send them for Christ. I, I'm just thrilled as uh, Justin and Ellie had come to be baptized that immediately both of them uh, came to a place where they desire to be discipled relationally. We're now weekly. Uh, Tammy is meeting with Ellie and I'm meeting with Justin and we're walking together as we follow Christ, just sharing what we've learned in following Christ. And if I can take the liberty, you heard their journey. And I look back on that and I think one of the key things in a believer's life is that they are discipled in the Word of God and following Christ. That way we are not led to and fro by every wind of doctrine. And I thank God for the journey that He took you guys on. And now uh, that you fully trusted Christ, you're on that journey to grow in Him. Can we just tell the Lord thank you for that one more time? I want to make you uh, aware of a couple of things. Uh, number one, if you're our guest, we would ask you to take this Connect card that's in front of you, fill that out. If you would, please give us your information. We'd love to follow up with you uh, just to say we we love you. We thank you that you visited with us. And if you have desire to know more about the ministry and the mission here at First Conyers, you can fill that out. Next Sunday... Uh, at 12 o'clock, or excuse me, at our, at our 10 o'clock service and also a 6 p.m. service will be our Christmas musical conducted not only by the choir, the worship team, and the children's ministry. So I want to encourage you to be here. And in the lobby, there are thousands of these cards. And so I want to ask you to take them and invite everybody that you can to be at one of these. It's part of that mission, Right? Uh, that we invite, that we encourage people to come. They will hear the gospel. They will hear of the worthiness of Christ. So be engaged in that. And lastly, for the calendar, uh, there's another card available of upcoming special events and services during our Christmas and New Year season. So please take one of those and be aware of that. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of 1 Corinthians and go all the way back to the back of the book, the end of the letter, beginning 
at the end of chapter 15, and I, I have selected the passage beginning in verse 51 of chapter 15 all the way through verse 4 of chapter 16, but this morning we're going to focus on one specific verse, and that is in verse 2, but I want to make sure that you're aware of the context that this one verse is taken from. How many of us understand that to arrive at correct interpretation of Scripture, we always have to look at the context, what came before and what's coming after that, so we understand and know what God is speaking to us through His Word. And this verse that that Paul encourages them in, in verse 2, is one that has pertinent uh, relevance specifically to this day that we have set aside for our annual giving and our send offering. Now, for those of you who are new to the church, our send offering is an annual missions offering that we receive every year. It is an overflow. It's an above and beyond what our regular giving is so that we can fund missions not only locally here in our area and in our state, but in other parts of the world as well. And I'll give more specifics on that as we get in the message. But this morning, the exhortation in this particular occasion that's taking place, I think, is very appropriate to this idea of a send offering or a missions offering. I told someone this morning that I was a little bit angst about preaching on giving this morning. And because it always sparks different, uh, different responses. But then the Lord spoke to my heart and said, J-Mo, you are not responsible to move anybody to give. That's my job, the Holy Spirit's job. My job is simply to convey what the Word of God says as my family and I, we walk in obedience to it and to encourage that in every believer's life who is a member and a part of the body of Christ. So Paul writes this in verse 2, he says, on the first day of every week, each of you is to put aside something and store it up. A, A good translation of that is to hoard it up. So we're all called to be hoarders. It's a joke. But the emphasis there is to store it up, to make plans to that, to put something aside as he prospers or as the God as God provides, so that there will be no collection when I come. Now the occasion that Paul is writing this to that church in Corinth is what was taking place in Jerusalem, where the early church was birthed. And as a result of many Jews in Jerusalem placing their faith in Christ as the Messiah, trusting his life as a sinless life, that he was buried and he paid a price and atonement for your sins, my sins, and their sins, that he was raised again on that last day, and they placed their trust in Christ, walking away, if you will, from the rules and the regulations of Judaism, that there was great persecution that broke out in Jerusalem because they had received Christ as Messiah. And as a result of that, there was persecution that came to them. And a form of that persecution was that many of them who may be employed or who may sell on the market to those who were Jews, they found that all of a sudden there was great lack and there was great need. You might say that they were ostracized from the Jewish community because they had placed their faith in Christ. 
And Paul became aware of this great need that was there within the church. And so he writes to those believers in Corinth, and undoubtedly he probably wrote to other or gave instructions to other church bodies, church locations around that area, and he was receiving an offering from those churches so that they might help their brothers and sisters in Jerusalem in a great need that they had. Paul felt that it was not only his responsibility, but it was a responsibility of the body of Christ that when there was a need in a particular area, particularly in Jerusalem there, that they provide from God's abundance in their life so that they might give to help that need. And so here we say, that, that Paul was, was responding to a need. He felt like there was a personal responsibility, and there definitely was a need there. When we look at the book of 1 Corinthians, there's the starting point in verse 9 of chapter 1 where Paul opens the letter, and he says, God, who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. Can everybody say amen, that God is faithful? Now, notice here that God calls us into fellowship with him, and God is faithful. And as you continue through the book of 1 Corinthians, you see this theme played out where Paul reminds them of God's faithfulness to them, not only in their salvation, but his continued faithfulness to them. Between that opening verse and the end of the book, there are some instructions and corrections that Paul gives to those believers, but all of that is in response to God's faithfulness to them. And here we come to verse 56 in chapter, or excuse me, 58 in chapter 15, towards the close of the book, and Paul says, therefore, and that therefore refers to everything that Paul has said from the beginning of the book. Anytime we see the word therefore, we always ask the question, What's the therefore, therefore? He says, therefore, in light of all of this, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the Lord your uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so it's not that Paul is encouraging them to work for additional favor in God's sight or that they work for their salvation, but that work is a response and an overflow of the wondrous blessings that God has brought about in their life and our lives as a result of us being saved by God. And so he encourages them and he says this, underline this in your Bible, knowing that the Lord, your uh, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In other words, it's not empty. What you and I do in response to God's love for us and in the way that we serve Him as He leads us is not in vain. It's not empty. But God is faithful, and God will produce. It's what we call kingdom production. That when we sow in serving, when we sow in giving, when we sow in these different ways, we may not see it immediately, but God will not waste that. It's not done in vain. I like to say this, that anytime the Holy Spirit of God prompts a believer to serve in a specific way, he has not called them to examine the results. He has called them to be faithful and to serve in that way. And we leave the results of that up to God because it is only by the Spirit of God 
and not by man's might. Amen? One thing we've got to recognize is that in the original Greek, between chapters 15 and 16, there, there's no paragraph break. Or there's no chapter break. It's, it's a continuing flow of Paul's idea as the Holy Spirit is leading him to write. And Paul goes out of this incredible, rich theological discourse of the reality of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection from the dead. And the hope that we have that on that last day there will be a trumpet that sounds and we too will be caught up to meet him in the air. And then he goes right in from that deep theological that you and I could just stumble over our brain thinking about all that is involved in the gospel. He goes to this of practical living or living out the application of these rich theological truths. I like to say this, that if all a believer does is concentrate on theological nuances, they are nothing more than an educated theologian. You see, it's those rich theological concepts and truths in Scripture that work in the believer's heart, theology, the study of God and his nature and character. As we respond to that, that's the application. James said that we're not to be just a hearer of the Word, but we're also to be a doer of of the word. And what Paul is virtually saying in this, in this connection between these two thoughts, that, that a shared resurrection life, that where we have been raised from the dead with Christ and we will be seated with him, that resurrected life constitutes a serving life. Listen to this. Write it down. Put it in your memory bank. Jesus gave himself in death and resurrection not to save us from sacrifice, but rather to enable us to sacrifice. You see, we have it wrong in the American church a lot of times. We think that Jesus raised from the dead so that we'll never suffer. He raised from the dead so that we'll never have hard times. Listen, he did not save us to spare us from those things, but he saved us in order that we might serve him as he works through us by the Holy Spirit of God. As Paul said in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, he saved us so that we might now offer our bodies as a living sacrifice to him, holy and acceptable. This is your reason act of worship, he says. And when Paul uses that phrase, your whole bodies in the Greek, it encompasses every bit of our being, our mind, our will, our emotions, our physical and spiritual, that it's all to be offered to God as a sacrifice. Now, there's some principles that we're going to pick up in this one verse that I'm going to go through briefly this morning. Number one is this. Embedded in this one single verse, Paul is going to encourage us, he's going to encourage those believers, and just as the Word of God was not just for those, but it's for the church of all time, we apply it into our lives. Number one is that our giving to Him needs to be regular. It has to have a regularity to it. Number two 
that there's a personal responsibility that God calls each and every one of us to in this idea or this teaching of giving in the body of Christ. And number three, there's that principle of reciprocity, meaning that, that we can't always have the mindset that we're always taking, but there's that reciprocity when we give back to God. Now, the first thing I want us to look at is this purposeful regularity of giving to God. Notice what he says in the beginning of that verse. He says, on the first day of every week, set aside a sum of money. That we are called, he encourages us, that there's a recognition on that first day of every week that we're to set aside a portion that we are going to give to God. And somebody would say, well, why do we give to God? God owns the cattle on a thousand years. God doesn't need it, and you're absolutely right. God doesn't get it. But what I've learned through giving is God doesn't need it, but I do. So he says every week, set aside that, that portion that you're going to give. You see, there's a habit that Paul is encouraging us to have. They say that it takes 21 days to develop a new habit. How many of us would agree with that? Some of us, it takes 21 years. (laughs) But when I think of establishing a habit in my life, a benefit... I recognize that it takes discipline, it takes planning, and I have to develop that habit in our giving. He says this, on the very first day. Now, in the history of the church, we know that the first day of the week became that day which was the Lord's Day. That's why we corporately worship on Sunday. The Sabbath was actually on that uh, Saturday where it would be celebrated from sundown on Friday evening through midday on Saturday. But he says, now in the church, establish that. You see, in Old Testament times, the, the tithing, if you will, was generally something that was done, and it was considered a tax to the children of Israel, that there was a a given. We have to remember Israel was a theocracy, and so we're looking at New Testament giving versus Old Testament giving, and I find that the principle of giving does not vanish from the Old Testament to the New Testament. As a matter of fact, we have it a lot easier. You see, the the principle in in the New Testament is a tithe, which means 10%. In the Old Testament, it's estimated when you take all of their festival giving and their offerings that the average Jew would give somewhere between a fifth and a third of their income in giving to the Lord. So when we question this principle of tithe, it causes us to respond that, man, if they could give under that regularity To that percentage, who am I to squabble about giving a tithe to the Lord? You see, there's two things that come to my mind when I think about this establishing in a habit. Number one is this, that when I establish that habit, that regularity of giving, it encourages the honor of giving. You see, there's a difference in compulsory giving and giving in a sense of honor honor and worship and adoration. You get that? We typically say it on every Sunday when we encourage you to place your offering in the, in the offering plates that are outside in the lobby as you leave that, that we do not desire that anyone give out of compulsion 
or out of arm twisting. Quite frankly, I would personally rather not have it if it's in that response because it benefits you or I nothing if we do it in that sense. But he gives an honor. Notice what he says again. He says, on the first day of every week, each of one should set aside a sum of money so that, now listen to what Paul says, so that when I come, no collection will have to be made. Now, I stop and pause and ask myself the question, why is it that Paul desires that they, they hoard an amount, they set aside an amount so that when he comes, he will not have to take an offering? Well, there are a couple of things that come to mind as I look in my experience in the church where sometimes offerings have been emphasized. And number one is this, that Paul did not want it to be a high-pressure sales pitch. And as a result of Paul's presence there, Paul the apostle is coming and We're going to take an offering for these believers in Jerusalem. Paul in no way desired that his presence might compel someone to give. Paul's desire was that individuals would give out of a response to their love, to their worship, their adoration for Christ, and not only to Christ, but for the propagation of the gospel so that others might come to know him. Paul didn't want any high pressure placed on the body for generosity. I have been, and I'm sure you have been, a part of times where a power preacher or things are used to strike people's emotions so that they will give. As a matter of fact, I've had some pressure at times given to me on this send offering that I really need to, I really need to puff it up. I really need to, and I, the thing that comes to my mind are those little frail dogs on the TV commercial that compel you to give. I'm just talking straight this morning, okay? Years ago, Sandy and I knew a young couple in a church where we were members at, who were asked that the wife would share her testimony as a result of her life before she came to know Christ because the church was endeavoring to open a crisis pregnancy center. And I'm all for that, amen? We're praying that that horrible decision It was made that sanctioned the taking of innocent life will be overruled, overturned this year. Amen? That God would give favor in our nation. And she was asked to share her testimony. And our testimony was this briefly, that before she came to know Christ at an early age, the age of 16, when she found herself as an unwed teenage girl, her mother drove her to an abortion clinic without a word being said in the car on the way to the clinic and not a word said on the way back to the clinic to take care of that mistake. As a result, it's set up in this young lady's life, not just another, not just a third, but four abortions that she had had in her life before she came to know Christ. And it was a very moving testimony, and she had never shared it in public. And when she and her husband were asked if they would share it, they agreed to share it, a very private. How many of you can imagine how private that testimony would be? And so as she shared that testimony of her life and how God had radically changed her life, 
immediately after the testimony was given and there was not a dry eye in the congregation, ushers came forward to pass plates. And can I tell you, while I was all for to see the support underwriting of that abortion clinic, my heart was broken because I knew that the young lady that had shared that testimony and her husband felt utterly violated and used for a manipulation of crowd. Can I tell you this? That that type of giving is not by the Holy Spirit of God. Now, the individuals that gave, they gave out of a right heart, I trust. But the exploitation, folks, can I tell you that that's not the way it should be? Can I get an amen on that? So Paul was concerned. You see, our giving should always be out of a response to God. He says here that there is a personal responsibility of giving to God. Point number two, there's this point, this point of personal responsibility. He says again in verse 2, each one of you should set aside a sum of money. You see, Paul's words on that day not only apply to the church there in Corinth, but it applies to all of church history since that point and particularly to the local church as well. What was true of Corinth could be true of any local church and ours today as well. Notice the inclusiveness of this personal responsibility. He says, let each one of you lay aside something. It was not discriminate. It was not just for the rich, but it was also for the poor. It was not just for the male, but it was also for the female. It was not only for the old, but it was also for the young. It was not only for the married, but it was also for the single. That there's a personal responsibility that each believer has based on the Word of God that we are to give out of God's supply in our lives. I can remember years ago, uh, probably around 2008, I was in the nation of Mozambique. If you don't know where that is, look it up. Mozambique is one of the poorest nations in all of Africa. And we were engaged in training national pastors there through the BTCP curriculum. And one of the pastors that was in the class had invited me to go some two hours or so from where we were to see his little village church. And as we got there... Can you just trust me when I say it was not an edifice like the one we have the privilege of worshiping in every day? Nobody complained there about the temperature because everybody was hot. But as I was about to leave, he wanted to give me a gift. And he gave me the. Now, this is everything you can imagine when you look at a bush village in Africa. Just the poorest conditions you might ever imagine. But the pastor there wanted to give me this. This was their only offering plate. Now, the thing that is not a part of this that once was that I used to be able to smell it, and I could smell the smoke in the offering plate. And he wanted to give this to me as a reminder of God's faithfulness, not only in my life, but his faithfulness in their life as well. You see, Jesus commended the widow and her widow's might. It wasn't the amount that she was giving, but it was the heart that she had given in. 
And so Paul reveals, not only in 1 Corinthians, but in 2 Corinthians as well, that there were many that were giving out of their extreme poverty. He writes the second letter to Corinth, and he speaks of those in Macedonia, how they had given out of their extreme poverty to help those who were in Jerusalem. The second point is this, that this directive of personal responsibility is that each of us should set aside a sum. I've already said that 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 phrase set aside could could be taken from a little hoard, that that there's an intentionality, there's a planning of giving in that, and we're to deliberately set it aside. Now, this morning while we're receiving our send offering, you may not be prepared to give, but I would encourage you in this, that as the Lord leads you, not as I compel you, but maybe from this day till the next year when we take our annual offering, that you determine, you know, I'm going to take that 10 bucks that I'd spend on a macholato. <laughs> Latte, thank you for the correction. Because I don't need the fat and the calories that are in that thing. I'd rather give it so somebody might come to know Jesus Christ. Amen? But plan. God honors that. Let me get to the last point. There's a practical reciprocity in giving to God. Notice he says in this. He says, set aside in keeping with his income or as God has prospered. Now, remember, this offering that he's speaking of here is that which is above and beyond the regular offering, the regular giving. The regular giving is what we give every week, or whether it's a biweekly basis or a monthly basis, where we give a tithe or a portion of our giving to the Lord for the work of the ministry. He says here that, that this is an additional. He says, set aside in keeping with your income. So I don't want to feel anybody pressured this morning. If you don't have it, I'm not telling you to give it, or God's not telling you to give it. You got that? You'll never hear from me, forego your house payment. You'll never hear from me, forego your responsibilities. But you will hear from me, plan, pray and ask God to enable you, and God will lead you, God will direct you, and God will bless that. Amen? You see, this idea of Reciprocity is the principle of taking and giving. What Paul is teaching there is that we can't always view God as somebody we're going to take from without the idea or without the worship in our giving to him. Unfortunately, in our culture, and it's taught in so many pulpits, particularly across our nation, that God is there to provide your every whim, your every want, your every desire. Can I tell you, that is not biblical. As a father, I realized that there were some things my children wanted that I knew were not good for them. I knew they would interfere with the development of their character. And as a good father, I withheld. She didn't think so at the time, but now she realizes it, right? Kind of. God's not there as our genie bucket. As a matter of fact, I've learned recently, I'm getting a little personal here, but I have a problem with impulsive financial decisions. Anybody you 
with me on that. I'm going to meddle right now. All of a sudden, I convinced myself, I need this. And, and, and I've learned that if I don't ask the Lord, Lord, is this something that I need? Then my compulsory purchases will replace my want and somehow or another convince myself that it's a need. The thing that I need in my life is that my whole being would be presented and offered to him as a living sacrifice. And as I walk in that, then I recognize more of what my needs and my wants are. Two things that emerge in closing. Number one, the consideration of what we receive from God. You see, we often think of receiving from God in in monetary ways. But can I remind you that in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, he says that spiritually we've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. That physically from Acts chapter 17, verse 8, for in him we live and move and have our being. None of us, our hearts would not be beating today if he did not enable our hearts to beat. Number three, there is that temporal where he continues to load up benefits, as the psalmist says in Psalm 68. You see, a giving, I I really believe in my own heart, my own life, giving reflects the measure of my appreciation for how God has prospered me in all of life, not just monetarily. Again, he says in this that we're to give as the Lord prospers. See, it's important for me to keep in mind as I consider this idea or this teaching, this principle, this command to give is that Jesus calls me and he calls every believer to be totally surrendered to him. It would do well for us to think of that blessed hymn that we love to sing, I surrender all. how many times I've sung that and the Lord said no you hadn't either (laughs) here are concluding questions is it truly better to give than receive the word of God teaches that that it's better to give than to receive here in this passage Paul instructs us to plan ahead when it comes to giving you know God God has purpose that we live prudent managed lives And where there's that planning, there's typically no compulsory actions that that come. So the question is this, do you plan? What can you do to improve that? What what is it that we need to do to, to plan that so that it's intentional? It's a message of the gospel worth our investment. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.